Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradza and welcome to 2023. On this episode, I sit down with Nicholas Alexander Kradza, my little brother, and we talk about inflation and real estate prices and energy, and we go through a whole bunch of different numbers, including debt numbers that are going on in Canada and around the world, and we try to break it all down and give our best interpretation of what the heck is happening in the world right now. So that's what we're doing on this episode, a little bit of a kickoff to 2023. We are recording this right after the holidays. I think we both are feeling exhausted from the holidays. Can that make sense? Exhausted. We're both exhausted from the holidays. We need a break. We just got back. So we're, we're a little slow. I think we're stumbling over our words a little bit on this particular episode, but we cover a lot of ground really quickly. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for sticking with us this far. If you've been supporting the podcast and you want to leave us a review, we would greatly appreciate it wherever you listen, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or wherever you're listening to this. If you think we have earned a solid review from you. We would greatly appreciate that. And we have a lot in store for you in 2023. Nick and I are actually going to be doing a regular podcast so that we can cover some of these topics and some of the business building, marketing, some of the other things that we've been doing that have been really helpful to being, you know, helping us live life on our own, our own terms. We're going to cover some of those topics on a more regular basis in 2023. So stay tuned for that. And if you are listening to this and now is your time to dive into the real estate investing world, but you're not sure where to go or you want to expand your existing portfolio, you can come out to the next introductory real estate training class that we are doing by visiting CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. There you'll find the next date. You can sign up for a seat. We cover all the different strategies that we're working with with investors right now, whether it's garden suites or laneway housing and second suites and student rentals, any kind of conversion projects. Some people are doing infill projects. We talk about it all at that class and we stick around afterwards, both Nick and I, to handle any of your questions so you can lob any questions our way. We will tackle them and answer the questions after the class in real time. So that is available to you at CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. That's it for the intro. Welcome to 2023. Let's get started with the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we are live with my brother, Nicholas Karadza, and it's 2023. Hey, 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 hold on. What happened to Alexander? We got rid Nicholas of Nicholas Alexander Karadza. Nicholas Alexander Karadza, and it's 2023. It's going to be a big year. You know, the first 24 hours, I think, that really hit me of 2023 was with the, I had this 24-hour window where the, the I, I finally got the full self-driving on my car. So the, my Tesla got the full self-driving download. I guess it's not beta anymore. Like it just came with one of the updates. And in a 24-hour does, it, does It must say beta still just for liability. It says oh, beta. Yeah, yeah, okay. But before there was like a beta program that you had to like, I guess, you know, apply to be part of. Now it just came as one of the, yeah, okay. one of the updates the car gets. So I was leaving a restaurant in downtown Oakville and I'm like, I guess I'm going to let the car just drive me home. So the car drove Carol and I home, like all stop signs, all stop lights, all turns, turns on the indicator, goes around cars that are in between the lanes. Why did they go around the car? Because it was going too slow? No, there were, you know, you know, sometimes when you're approaching a single lane road goes to like two lanes yeah. and there's that moment where a car in front of you doesn't know what lane it's going into. So there was a car going slow and it was kind of in between two lanes and it was just going slow. Like, I don't know if the driver was 
trunk or what the so what it, it indicated went over around yeah so the, yeah the car indicated and went like around outside the left lane a little bit to get around this car that was just kind of weirdly Is that good semi- it was, so it went into oncoming traffic a little bit no it just kind of went into the left turn lane oh god you know and then it came back and i was like wow like it adjusted for this car that's clearly just doing something silly right in the middle of the road so the and then it just disengages right in front of your house it doesn't park yet if it parks in front of my garage then it's officially the batmobile but it doesn't park yet. <laughs> but why doesn't it park in a, in a parking lot? Can't you just like pull up close to a parking spot and press? You park can. Yeah. So yeah. I wonder why it doesn't pull into the. I don't know. It's like day two that I got it. Probably needs <laughs> yeah, to burn yeah. or something like that. So there, the uh, so it drove me home, and then um, within the next, you know, that twenty four hour window, I was playing around with that AI that makes graphics. So I just put like make a new Rockstar real estate logo, and this AI makes logos. Like it's like I'm a graphic designer, but all I did is type in like imagine Rockstar real estate logo, and I think I put a couple other words, and up comes this logo. Then I made a new logo for the Your Life Your Terms podcast. So I'm like freaking out that this artificial intelligence is now making designs that are useful. And then I was playing around with Nostra, which is this Nostra is like a decentralized. Um, protocol that allows, I think it was originally made like six months ago for some techies to like exchange notes between each other. And there was no centralized kind of repository of these notes. And somebody a few months ago when Twitter was going through all its Twitter stuff with Elon said, Hey, can we use this protocol to like actually build like a social media thing and make it decentralized? So some guys do it. They make clients to this protocol. So Nostra is the protocol. They made a client. I think the most popular one's Damus right now, but there's, I think ninja.astral or something like that. And this protocol is now now has people on there as a social media kind of interface and people are sharing messages and your ID is no longer your email address. You have a cryptographic key mm-hmm. and the private key is your like sign on. So as long as you don't lose your private key, you can sign on to this protocol from anywhere with different clients and nobody knows your email address, nobody knows your name and it's completely secure because it's this cryptographic kind of ID. And Jack Dorsey, I think, gave two or three of the developers that were developing one of the clients, like 14 uh, Bitcoin as like a little bit of a sponsorship or something like that. So in this 24-hour window from the Tesla to this AI to seeing this new protocol, I'm like, holy shit. A lot's changing. 2023 is changing. Well, and that's already like chat GPT is like. Yeah, we didn't even talk about chat GPT. And that's all over the place. I mean, it's the fastest growing piece of technology I think ever. So uh, when I passed it to Aiden in the fall, I'm like, Aiden, check out this thing. Can you use it for school? So just for, just what everyone knows, it, it basically is just like a, it's like a, it's an AI kind of research thing that where you ask questions that language is basically just all understands language and spits out language answers and essays actually more than language because it does web pages and code and all this stuff but yeah it's just just look it up just google chat well, I know gpt someone, it's awesome i know someone who used it they had a difficult message sent to them with somebody struggling in life about something really complicated and deep i don't want to share too many details about it but they didn't really know how to respond. Like they genuinely didn't know how to respond. So they put it in chat GPT and it gave them five different ways to respond. They first said, Hey, this is what this person's going through. And then it said, here's the five different ways to respond. And they used one of the responses. Wow. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) What is that? So, uh, so yeah, 2023, you know, when Jeff Booth talks about exponential technology growth and that humans can't really understand exponential trends really yeah, we're well seeing it right and then he now. yeah he talks about folding a piece of paper 50 times and on the last fold it goes all the way to the moon or the sun yeah, I, I think it was the moon. the moon yeah and uh that you know people just can't visualize can't seem to understand that because it's an exponential growth and yeah it feels like we just had a big fold and like 2023 
you're going to see all of this stuff morph. I was, I was mentioning, I mentioned this chat GPT to Aiden, um, who's in university and it spread like wildfire through all of Western. Oh, I think the professors, every every university, every university. So the professors must just be freaking out because now students, they, they've kind of endorsed a lot of online, you know, like, Hey, you can, you don't have to come into class. Everybody's safety is so important. Be online. And now these guys have these tools where they can get like awesome answers and the prof can't really detect if it's them making these answers or someone else or like AI. Oh my gosh. And then on Nostra, I saw somebody give like a lightning tip to someone else and someone responded saying, so lightning is another protocol which allows you to send Bitcoin really quickly like to anyone around the world. And on Nostra, I guess someone had put a lightning invoice and someone paid for a coffee to someone else. And someone's like, oh my gosh, like someone halfway around the world paid for my coffee. Thank you so much. And they were kind of getting a thrill from that whole experience. And then someone else replied saying, how do you know it was another human? Oh yeah. I didn't even think about that. That's even crazier. <laughs> Imagine yeah. it was like, it was a piece of AI yeah. that owns some Bitcoin that then sends you, what happens when AI starts buying residential real estate and renting it out? And then we pay rent to the AI. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's, so, there's all sorts of, all sorts of downside and risks that come with this depending on how it develops, but it's, it's, it's going to be, oh my God. Did you see the, jur- the journey's here, like the journey's starting and you know, you got to be on top of it and just, just to at least realize what's out there. Didn't you send me that thing off Twitter where someone asked it, how would it look if AI and robots took over the human race or something? Didn't you send that to me? I don't me? think I sent it to you. Oh, someone sent or that I, to I me forget. this morning and chat GPT outlines how they would do it. Oh. It's like a two page response on, and then it's basically there would be, they would divide humans into like by how skillful you are and how much value you offer them. And there'll be classes of humans. <laughs> it's great. Anyway. Okay. We're going to move on to some, some more exciting stuff. There's, there's something in the economy. I just wanted to share that this is some of the data that we're looking at. And uh, Nick, I have this chart up on the, on the screen. This is some ISM data, hotly debated uh, piece of economic signaling this ISM stuff a bit, but it, basically ISM takes a lot of purchasers around North America and gets data from them to see what they are doing in the economy. So are like people buying, what are inventory levels like, are they hiring? And they kind of put this together as an economic indicator. And this particular one is called ISM. A lot of hedge funds, a lot of macro analysts will look at this data as one of the leading indicators to give them some clue as to what the economy might be doing. And Nick, this is the latest on the ISM. It's actually below 50 now. So, it, you know, it goes from zero to a hundred or whatever. And when it dips below 50, you're kind of heading into a recession. So this ISM data- Has it been a recession pretty much every time that it's dipped below 50? I think it has. If, right. Yeah. If you look at that, you're right. There, there, yeah. It looks pretty close. I don't know the history of it to say like with absolute certainty, but it has a pretty good track record. And then U.S. GDP growth is now forecast to be below 1% um, year over year based on this. So we'll see U.S. GDP growth when it comes out the next, I don't know, the next reading January or February. But Well, they always start <laughs> at the beginning of the yeah. year. They're always like, oh, here's what's going to be this year. By the end of the year, it always ends up being lower. So they are. Yeah, they always yeah. start high. So they'll start at two and a half. And yeah, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then so if you forecast some of this out based on where it's going, it looks like wherever, however, whatever data we're using to decide if the U.S. is going to go into a recession and if Canada officially follows, it looks like it's going to be kind of hitting us pretty, pretty soon. And I think the most interesting thing part uh, about this data is that if you flip over, Nick, I have this chart of um, the U.S. 10-year bond yield, which is still about 3.5 right now. 
and the ISM. And when this ISM or this economic indicator kind of points straight down or comes tumbling down, usually bond yields come tumbling down as well. But we're in a place where bond yields, like the 10-year U.S. bond, is still 3.5% or so. And the ISM data is still is straight down. So they're kind of moved in opposite directions. The bond yields have spiked straight up and ISM data is straight down. And I know you can't see this if you're listening to this, but this chart that we're looking at goes back to 1990. And they always kind of have this correlation where they always come back in line. So that if bond yields are super high and ISM data is going straight down, bond yields usually correct. So I don't know if this is going to be the anomaly. Is this going to be the thing that breaks this model? Or are bond yields about to come tumbling down and nobody really sees it yet? So that, or the economy comes roaring back is the other option. The ISM data goes up. But that seems unrealistic yeah. based on where rates are and kind of what you're hearing from different, you know, the layoffs are happening and unemployment's kind of going up and that type of thing, right? So I know some unemployment numbers are down, but hourly wages and, you know, there's all this... All these things. Yeah, 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 yeah. So this is kind of... I had an Amazon tour booked with the family. I, I finally, I wanted to go. So I went to the distribution center. Remember we went... Oh, they opened ago? it up again? They opened it up again. So I booked one in January and then it got canceled, like out of the blue. They, I just got an email saying it was canceled. So I went back on to book it and there were still dates. They first they said they were all full and then all the dates were removed. And I'm like, why, why, what changed? And it was right around the time when they announced 18,000 people being laid off. And I don't know what percentage are in in the Toronto area, you know, in that distribution center or not. And I, I was just wondering, I'm like, oh, is that why they don't want people there? Because like morale is going to be going to suck. So they canceled everything for January. I don't know. But, um, well, but yeah, when you think of it, I think my even my own household compared to like the COVID two year window, was it three year window? Two year window? I don't even know. I don't, I don't want to talk two weeks. I want to make that. But there's way less Amazon packages arriving at my door in the last few months than we had oh, for that two year window. Like I can just tell there was a period where I don't know if we weren't going out and we needed stuff and Amazon was landing at our door. I felt like daily. Now it's kind of a lot less. I just think it's across the board. People aren't spending as much. More money's going towards borrowing costs and interest. And I think mm -hmm. just across the board that people are not spending as much on, on things. And that's what impacts guys like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's this other thing I want to show you that Lynn Alden has this tweet from back in August um, where it says the first rule of economic policy is to make sure you do not run into acute energy shortages. The second rule of rule, rule sorry, of economic policy is to make sure you do not run into acute energy shortages. And I think that's kind of the other thing we have to watch in 2023 is where does this whole energy thing kind of play out. I think when the whole Nordstrom pipeline was like bombed or detonated or destroyed or whatever, that with the fear of a really cold winter, kind of th everybody thought Europe was going to just plunge into this whole energy crisis. And what happens really interesting, like I don't know, you know, some of the stuff that I've been reading is that Germany was able to push through a lot of port development to accept ship ships that had liquefied natural gas from the US and before they might have taken like 10 years to get that all done because of like environmental concerns and like people objecting to these developments of these ports but because they were in such an energy crisis they just jammed all this through and within like six months they developed all this ability to accept all these boats and get liquefied natural gas from the u.s to make up for this destruction of no energy coming from the russia first and then second the destruction of this nord stream pipeline and they were able to do that like so quickly and that combined with a super mild winter so far has allowed them to kind of navigate through this but to me that's just super interesting that like 
there's all this environmental pushback on like, can't develop new ports, you can't do all these things, we're not gonna have all these ships arrive, but when push comes to shove and you don't have energy, you can get shit done really quickly. Well, yeah, they were supposed to shut down nuclear reactors, and then they said, ah, maybe we'll not shut, we won't shut down these, nu these nuclear plants after all, which all of a sudden nuclear went from this terrible, terrible thing. Now everyone's looking around and being like, well, maybe nuclear is actually not such a bad thing. We should kind of revisit this. So it's amazing, amazing how quickly the narrative changes once people's like lives are really impacted by things, and they have to focus on necessity instead of some just you know fantasy-based uh, ideas. And this next uh, next chart I have up is showing the price of energy in U.S. dollars compared to the price of energy in Canadian dollars, Australian dollars, euros, British pounds, and Japanese yen. And if you haven't been following, the U.S. dollar has gotten stronger relative to all these other currencies over the past year. And when energy is priced in U.S. dollars, it makes it really tough for other countries to afford higher energy prices. The U.S. dollar goes up in value, your dollar. So if you're the Japanese yen or if you're the euro and you lose value, if you're the British pound and you lose value and all of a sudden you need to buy energy, it puts this major strain on the world that exists still in 2023. And I think this is going to be a trend over the next couple of years. Like how does this unwind itself as the way the global debt market is structured seems to be increasing demand for U.S. dollars because people need to make U.S. dollar denominated debt payments so they need to get their hands on U.S. dollars, which puts a bid or demand for U.S. dollars, dollars, which then increases the value of those U.S. dollars because you're selling your own currency to buy U.S. dollars. Which makes it harder to buy. Which makes it harder to buy. This is going to be a trend over the next few years. If interest rates stay high and, and energy prices don't come plummeting down, but if, if they stay high and interest rates stay high, there's this demand for U.S. dollars, both for energy and to make your interest payments whole bunch of countries around the world have U.S. denominated debt. And they have to make these interest payments, so they're always chasing U.S. dollars. But if we look at the ISM data that we talked about earlier, you would think energy prices are going to come tumbling down as the economy com comes tumbling down into a recession. How long, with all the geopolitical stuff that's going on, how long do you think until energy is not solely priced in U.S. dollars anymore? Because it feels like it's coming, it's closer... It, then I, maybe I would have thought like it, it feels like it might be around the corner. Yeah, I think with all the things, stuff that's happening between Russia and China and Saudi and stuff, you know, and all the talks they're having about their mm. energy supplies and how they're selling it to each other and that type of thing, it feels like there could be some changes in 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 we you know it could nothing might change or some there could be an announcement in the, in a matter of weeks you know I think and I think it's slowly happening like this decade this happens where the U.S. dollar slowly just fades from being the primary currency for energy because we're seeing it between Russia and China you're seeing announcements between Russia and Iran where they are settling. Russia and China are doing some some energy purchases where they're settling in their own local currency, where Russia is accepting the one for energy. Well, Saudi and then, Arabia was openly talking about yeah. doing it with China. So I think it's I think it's happening. And at the end of every month, they just settle any trade imbalance with gold. So end of every month, they go, okay, like what's the imbalance? Who owes who? What? We just settle it up in gold. Because if, if I'm Russia and I have this one now, and then I can use that to buy product or whatever from China, I can buy TVs or I don't know, whatever it is I'm buying from Russia. So I can use that then to buy product. But at the end of the month, if I'm left with some Chinese currency left over, okay, settle me out in gold. I'm a happy camper because mm -hmm. I can use that for my country. I can use the Chinese currency for what I need to buy anyway. 
and then at the end of the month, just settle me out in gold. And to me, it's why Russia has trying to insulate itself from the US dollar system by loading up in, with gold, definitely in the last five years in a big way, China in the last 10 years in a big way. I feel like they were been preparing for this moment for five to 10 years in a very serious effort. Ever since basically the great financial crisis, these central banks, many of them have been net buyers of gold. It seems like they're setting themselves up for this moment. Mm -hmm. So I, th I think it's like, we'll reflect back on 2023, like it's happening, but because we're in the moment, we just don't see it. I think that, that yeah, and China, like it's interesting because they just started releasing the reserve numbers again. I think it was last year. I mean, they, they period periodically released them, but again, at the end of the last year, they have kind of been talking about how much gold they've been acquiring and, and their reserves and how much they've jumped. And it's just, I always wonder, like, what's the logic to them? I don't feel they do things just like, oh, okay, now's the time. You know, let's just release these numbers. So I'm like, what's the logic to doing it now? And it seems like it's something about that to to show how much, you know, financial strength they have with the reserves and, and with their kind of gold holdings and stuff like that, right? Because I, I just I, I just don't think they that the chairman there wakes up one day and says, ah, let's just release our, yeah, our gold numbers today, right? Yeah, yeah, totally strategic about it. And I think they have to do this kind of slowly and strategically because you can't kill the U.S. economy. China still depends on the U.S. economy and China still holds trillions of dollars of U.S. 100%. treasuries. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of be this strategic, almost just like a slow bleed where you just bleed the U.S. And, you know, the U.S. just is on this four-year election cycle, so they can't think strategically. Which seems to be what's happening. If you take a 10,000-foot view and you just kind of look at what's happening in the U.S. overall, in the majority of the U.S., or maybe kind of like the, the, the parts that you looked at is, I'm not powerful before, but the strength components, you know, like the Californias, New Yorks of the world and things. Mm -hmm. When you look at their infrastructure and you look at the way those cities and those areas are structured now, you're just like compared to some other global cities or, or, or things, you know, you see in China. Yeah, they're pretty other, shitty. Yeah, they really are. Like, they really, really are. I think LaGuardia finally got a new airport, a new terminal. I haven't been there but since But that LaGuardia terminal? Was, like, you would land in there. There was literally buckets catching the leaks from the roof yeah. for what? At six, seven years? Oh, years. Yeah, Just yeah, buckets. Yeah, long time. Buckets. But that's what I mean, but catching water it. leaks. But you see it, and I, I'm like, so where's all the money going? It goes to all this financial Wait. stuff and lobbyists, and like there's the still this, all the- The military-industrial complex. Well, just now you see the pharma stuff that's for the last the few years. The banking system, like pharma, yeah. Waste upon waste of waste. Like it's The just, medical system there. Like, I mean, I think, you know, someone was telling me there that they had to order a Tylenol. I don't know if this is a, a true story. This is how I remember it. And the Tylenol on the itemized bill they got for their medical stay, I think it was paid by insurance for this person, was like $350 for like one Tylenol. Like I think the medical system is just kind of so messed Well, when up. it all goes through insurance, yeah, there's yeah, two different it's, rates. It's, right? Yeah, like totally sure. messed up. At least they can get Tylenol. We, can, we don't even have Tylenol. Somebody I know is actually just in the Oakville Hospital now, and I guess there's like a fourth floor in the building next to the hospital where they were like getting ready to be discharged, but they were still on a bed. And the person was just telling me it's like an unfinished floor with some drywall quickly put up, unfinished ceiling. Oh, really? Yeah, some beds no and idea. stuff. Anyway, we'll talk about the population in, in our healthcare system in a second. But here, this chart I wanted to show. So what Nick and I are looking at now is that Japan and the UK had to sell a bunch of treasuries to be able to buy stuff. So they sold their savings, which a lot of their savings is held in US treasuries. Japan sold only about 70 billion of their 2.2 trillion. The UK sold about 13 billion of their 600 billion that they own. That they own. And that was enough for the US 10-year yield to spike up to 3.5. So I know there's other factors at play here, but when you have countries like this who are selling treasuries and then there's not this 
insatiable demand for treasuries, you get yield spiking up. And there's $7.5 trillion that the rest of the world has in outstanding U.S. treasuries. So I guess my point is if like $83 billion can be enough to really you know, show some weakness in the U.S. Treasury demand. What happens out of the seven, if 7.5 trillion hits the market when everyone decides, oh shit, either I need to buy energy or I need to buy stuff for my country or I need to make interest payments or screw the U.S. And I know that would never hit the market all at one time. But if 83 billion can really show some weakness in the market, what happens if like, you know, 500 billion hits the market or 1 trillion out of that seven and a half trillion? I guess my only point is this is another thing in 2023 to be watching because to me, that's just kind of psycho. Let me go to another chart here. Sorry, let me bring this up chart. Yeah. And then on this, this is kind of something that we were presenting a few months ago on what are some of the options that countries have in this type of environment where rates are high Energy is, you know, there's geopolitical problems with energy. There's the war with Russia and Ukraine doesn't seem like it's ending anytime soon. Pipelines blow up. People have to ship in liquefied natural gas. People have to sell their U.S. treasuries. The country has to sell their savings in U.S. treasuries to afford stuff. And some of the options are, number one, sell more U.S. denominated assets to finance your energy purchases or agree to de-dollarize. And like you're saying, Nick, not use the U.S. dollar, use your local currency. So the U.K. just goes and says, "Okay, listen, Russia, you know, we're going to be buying energy from you, but we're just going to be using the pound. You good to accept the pound and we just start trading without the U.S. dollar. So that's like option number two. Or, or the ruble, though they would have to. Or the ruble, sorry, the yeah, ruble, yeah, it's right? priced in so, ruble. Yeah. Let's just use our own currencies to exchange back and forth between each other. Or the Fed brings down rates to try to bring down the cost of energy in U.S. dollar prices. So, and that would just require endless printing of more money. So print, 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 and print more to buy U.S. treasuries to bring down the rates to make the interest costs less for all these countries around the world. Or go to war with Russia in a serious way. And some people think that some people, I mean, there's some theories out there saying it's a CIA plot with Russia to try to get some of, you know, American, you know, you know, people in power in Russia that would be pro America and kind of control some of those resources in Russia. I mean, I know I'm just going out on like, I don't know the inner workings of the geopolitical intelligence community, but there that's, that is a theory that's floated out there. So or, they, or they crush the economy to a point that they hope it doesn't blow up and they, and they slow things down enough that the status quo can remain. Sure. That's, that's which, the other which, option, which, which is what, what they're doing. That's, it looks that's like the they're, attempt. They're, right? they're trying to do that. So, cause that can succeed and then all these go away. Right. Cause that is a viable alternative. If that kind of thing settled down, like look what happened, look what's happened to energy prices already. It's come down now. And now if this changes, if the economy does pick up and, and things like that, and there's liquidity problems and things like that, but the energy prices compared to where they were have come down quite a bit. I just going by the gas prices. I don't know the actual, you know, oil or LNG prices, but I know they've 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 come down quite a bit. So they're they're they they're, so far they've been walking that fine line and they're managing to walk it so far, which I think has surprised everyone. I think a lot of people that yeah, that at least the, a lot of things that I read and the people I I listen to yeah, a lot of people are like well, oh, you know, I didn't think they get it. It looked it looked really shaky in September. Remember what happened with the UK bonds? Yeah. Those got those. It, that's when things are like, oh, okay. When something like this starts happening, usually there's like a ripple effect. And I'm like, okay, they've patched it up for now. 
Let's see how long that We're going to be bringing that up because that's still my favorite slide from the last economic update that we gave. And so with all of this going on, here's kind of just some of the math that I love looking at. The, um, the global debt is approaching $300 trillion. $300 trillion. Like, think about that. $300 trillion. And it might not, like, you can't even put that into, you know, what context do you use to really understand the size of, of, of $300 trillion? And the forecast you know, over the next few years, even by, you know, the BIS, the IMF, the Institute for Interna International Finance, the IIF, they're all saying, you know, by the end of 2030, it's going to be close to 400 trillion. I think it's going to blow through that easy, but we're at 300 trillion. Um, and then if you look at some of the math involved in this, this is kind of just how I like to make sense of it myself. And, and this is why I think it's a big bluff with these interest rates. Because if the debt, the global debt is four times GDP. So for every dollar of economic activity, there's $4 of debt. If the interest rate on the debt on average is about 3%, it means the debt in any one year is, you know, growing to from four, $4 to 4.12. It grew 3%. And the reason it grew 3% is because that's the interest rate for the debt. So I'm just saying, let's say it grew 3%. Just, this is just a generalization of how to look at the economy as a whole. And then if the GDP is $1, so if debt is $4, and for every $4 of debt, there's one, only $1 of GDP, to just kind of keep the same spread between the debt and the GDP so that it doesn't get out of control and there's not a debt spiral, GDP would have to grow at 12% to equal 1.12. So now the numbers become 4.12 and 1.12, just to keep the spread the same so that the debt doesn't get away from the economy or the economic activity. And that's why I think we need 12% inflation in this debt world. And if we don't get 12% inflation, which we're not getting right now because rates are so high, we're not getting the inflation. Global M2 is going down, not up. We're not getting an inflated money supply. We're not getting it. But that's why I think it's a huge bluff because if you're gonna have high rates and the debt to GDP is four to one, and those high rates are going to continue to grow the, the debt at an accelerated rate. I'm not even talking about deficits and the money you have to print to pay for the debt because you don't have enough money to pay for, for your own debt in countries like Canada and the U.S. and all around the world. Yeah, I yeah. think it's why the, the debt's continue to, continue to grow can, the way it has. Ex exactly. They so can't, They can't get out of it. But it's, I think it's also beyond that. It's not just that. It's just there's no focus on trying to extinguish any of that debt or repay it. The focus is just on what's next and like you said it, it, it's maybe it's the election cycles maybe it's the uh the the I'll, I'll just call it corruption but or like wasted money you know like even in canada there was there was the the we charity which once that blew up there was like oh let's just hush this under yeah. there was we uh, in ontario specifically they they um they canceled to get that gas to, to try to get votes right around the election they canceled that gas oh, plant, yeah, in mississauga. That plant on mississauga the, and oakville border yeah it was a billion yeah. it was a billion dollar penalty <laughs> yeah. a billion for for a problem well, that's not for a country. That was a billion dollars for the problem. You can't blame the politicians to me because there's just absolutely no political incentive to pay off debt. No, no, I understand. You, you just get no votes. No, no, I get it. I'm not saying, like, I, I understand th their incentive and that's why they do. But I mean, so that system, until there's like wholesale changes, because if anyone ever ran on like, here's what we're going to do. We, you know, whatever the number is, we have a hundred billion. Here's how we have to split it up. And we can't really spend much more yeah. than that. Sorry, we so, can't pay for daycare. We can't pay for the dentist benefits that we were going to pay yeah, for the dental benefits. No one's going to get elected. 
because no one thinks further out. So yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be tough. The only thing that they, you have seen is when you put that chart up about the 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 debt was large over uh, you know over three hundred trillion and yeah. it's growing, but the percentage of debt to GDP is is falling right now. And that's because of the inflationary times that they're in. And they've managed to bring that down in the, in the past when debt levels were lower. Mm-hmm. But they have managed to bring that down to a more manageable percentage of GDP through financial repression. Mm-hmm. And, they, and that's what we've been going through in the last year. And that can continue maybe. And maybe this is the fine line that they walk. And they get it back down from whatever it is, 120% mm-hmm. to 80%. And then they manage to then and they can I think continue they just, to grow it and, 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 and move forward. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. It has come down a little bit. I just think it's a pipe dream because I think you got the benefit of just all this new liquidity flushing into the system because of COVID, where you just had this excuse to just literally helicopter money that everyone, mm-hmm. serb businesses, flush money into the system. It gave this economic boom where GDP just absolutely yeah, exploded. exploded. And then you had the ratio come down. I don't think we're there anymore. In fact, I think now because of high rates, GDP is going the exact opposite direction. So I expect this little reprieve that we've had to actually end Mm -hmm. and debt to GDP now turn and go back up again. And if we're only down to 120%, we went from like 130% to 120% in the US anyway. after all that money was flushed into the system, how much money is it going to take to flush into the system to artificially grow the GDP to a point where debt to GDP would be like 80%? It's going to be astronomical. Yeah. And, I, and I, I think this is why I feel the high interest rates right now is an absolute bluff because you're going to squash the economy. You're going to make interest payments across the board on people's visa cards, on, uh, on their car loans, on their mortgages. You're going to crush the real estate market. You're going to crush the economy. So your tax revenues are going to go down. Debt is still super high. And your payments are now even higher because the rates are high, but you're collecting more money. So you have to print more money. Welcome to a debt spiral. Mm-hmm. So I, I that, and that's why I think it's such a bluff. Like I just think when the central bankers like TIFF in Canada and in the U.S. when they get up there and say it's going to be higher rates for longer, I'm like, okay, higher rates for longer. Oh, I'm on board. Rates have been too low for too long anyway. So yes, rates should be higher than they have been. I'm on board. But the situation you've put yourselves in as the central bankers has created an environment where, are you mad? You are going to destroy everything. If that's what you want to do, okay, I'm here for it. I'm here. I think I've set myself up and our family up for it, but it's going to be ugly. Yeah, but the flip side is they haven't destroyed it yet. They've slowed it. No, down. but we're talking six months. Y- you're right, but but bond yields. Give it three what, years. When did bonds bond yields peak? They peaked. Yes, yeah, right months, in the fall. Six months ago. Yeah. Okay, so I thought it was I thought it was in the summer, but okay, fall. I don't know if it was September, so it hasn't been six months yet. But I'm like, yeah, you like you would have thought. I, I don't know. Maybe you would have thought. I thought that even that period of time with rates that went as high as quickly as they did there'd be more destruction by this point but in short period of time you can it's always tough, yeah. you can always shuffle things around but give it three years of this yeah, yeah okay so keep rates like this for three years you've crushed the american real estate market you're crushing the canadian real estate market and you're going to hold that for three years while your tax revenues go you've crushed the stock market you're going to hold all of this for three years so you're going to earn less capital gains you're going to earn less tax revenue. You're going to keep rates high. So your only solution is to print more money, which increases your debt. And you're going to keep the rates even higher. What, like, are you joking? Is this some mad joke? 
Like, I don't understand where we're at. So yeah, you can keep it going maybe for another three months, maybe another six months, but give me three years. The only way I can see this happening where for three years they keep rates higher, the only way I see it is if inflation stays super high. So if there's enough geopolitical problems where energy prices just don't come down, if supply chains around the world that are broken, they started to break, I think, when Trump told China, hey, listen, you know what, we're not going to, we're going to attack. Remember when Trump came into power and said, hey, we're going to tax you on a whole bunch of this stuff, kind of started breaking supply chains because some companies were like, wow, like we can't import stuff from China anymore. We got to build it over here. Supply chains get out of whack. Then COVID hit, supply chains get whacked further. So now we see kind of empty shelves, you know, store shelves on different products randomly at different times, hard to get stuff if you're building real estate and, and you know, you, you can't get certain things, you can't get a chair or a table for however long. Um, so you see supply chains broken. If that stays broken for longer, maybe inflation stays stickier. And if, if inflation stays up at like six, seven, eight, nine percent, sure, yeah, you can have high rates because in real terms, rates are still going to be negative when inflation is so high. You can have a six percent interest rate, inflation's at nine percent, real rate's still negative three. So sure. So there, to me, there is a way, but then you have inflation. And in that environment, I want to own hard assets like real estate because I'm getting the inflation of 9% and it might not be equally spread around the world, but you can have 9% inflation and the real estate market might not, not, might not be getting it in short bursts because rates are high, but you better believe when the fundamentals of lack of housing and population growth, especially in an area like now, when inflation's that high, eventually it's gonna spill over into the real estate market and I wanna own hard assets. So I think there could be pockets of time where you shock the market, but if inflation stays high, Rates can stay high and I still want to own hard assets. Whereas right now, everyone's like, holy shit, like what's going on? I still want to own hard assets mm-hmm. in either way. Rates come tumbling down. I want to own hard assets. Rates stay high. The only way I see them staying high is high inflation. I want to own hard assets. So it all kind of comes back to the same story. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm just trying to figure out like it's too easy and everyone's looking at that and thinking the same thing. And I'm just trying to I don't think out so, though. I don't think everybody's look. I don't think everybody's looking at. I want to own hard real estate assets. No, I'm looking at. The, I'm talking about the rates coming. The, the rates have to come back down. I'm. I'm oh. not, not even there. Like I'm just looking at like, you know, because that's the 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 the, the, the like you know, most people are thinking that. I've just never been in a position, and looked at things where I'm like, wow, the the real the majority of people looking at this picture are all thinking the same thing, and then that it ends happened. up being what happens. And so I agree with what you're saying, but why I'm I'm you mean quiet. Bitcoin didn't hit a hundred thousand? Well, everybody yeah. thought it was going to hit a hundred thousand. So but I don't think it was everybody. But, <laughs> no, oh shit, it was me. It was um, me. But it was. Uh, but do you know what I mean? Like I, I just had never seen that. So like I'm just trying to figure out what what the other side of 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 that is. High inflation for longer. Mm-hmm. Because everybody thinks it's going to come down because of inflation. You're, you don't think rates are going to come down because inflation's staying high. Yeah, it's really hard to have high inflation if, if they raise rates. Like, I mean, from the people we're talking to, the business owners and things like that, it's tough to see inflation staying high with where rates are, at least from the, the, the business aspect of it. Because there's talking, no credit growth. Yeah, if we're yeah. talking about resort, like if we're talking about prices of, of energy and stuff like that, that, those can stay up, I get it, right? And, and uh, the other stuff seems like a stretch to me, but supply chains, if things come back onshore, that would change things as well. But I want to add one, one more thing to what you were saying about the debt. Um, because this is something that, that 
you were talking about earlier the new technology that's, that's on the market mm-hmm. now. This, this, that is so. Ma- and Jeff Booth always talks about it. So massively deflationary. So just think about Chat GBT, BT, or oh my God. or 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 the other AI design stuff. What does that do to how many jobs? Our we, whole we office had a heart attack. Yeah. Remember when we shared it around? Everyone had a heart attack yeah. instantly. But, but it, not just jobs and schools. Think of all the universities, yeah. all, the, all the professors that are teaching. Yeah. Well, I mean. Like it's, and I'm not saying it's good because like then all of a sudden, you know, my kids already just think Google is automatically like, that's the answer. And I'm like, well, you got to look at different resources and different sources. Don't just click on one link and think that's the answer, but they're already programmed to do that type of stuff. And I'm teaching them to look for a little bit deeper, you know, and then, so I don't want to get off on tangent, but then it, with something like chat, GBT over like, oh, that's the answer. That's what it said. So it, it, be, it becomes the authority, but I don't think that's necessarily good. However, you just need less of everything that when there's a one source for all this stuff, like it just one person can make graphics, write computer code, write an essay and write marketing copy. Well, look at the, look at, uh, look at the, um, how many people have had to take up like a, a kind of side gig now? Like, so, uh, the gig economy, right? Yeah. Uber, um, uh, skip the, di- skip the dishes, DoorDash, all that type of stuff. Right. If your, your car is driving itself around once that proliferates further, and and maybe it does or maybe it doesn't, but maybe there's these autonomous vehicles. I'm just watching you, Leaf games as the car drives. Well, you around. can't. But even the people that that couldn't get by with a um, uh, with one full time job, they need a side gig. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those go away. Those aren't even available. What happens? You're right. What happens when an autonomous vehicle goes to like Subway, picks up the sub? The employee drops it in the car, the car drive, you go outside, grab yeah. it out of the car. So that's all deflationary because there's less people that have jobs. There's less cost to doing that. There's just the car. There's not the driver, right? So everything becomes defl- deflationary because there's less costs involved. So then, but if our whole system is based on the growth of the economy, the growth of the money supply, Gr- growth of the credit, growth of credit for that. And then you're, you have these opposing forces fighting each other, this technology. And now the technology is ramping up faster and faster and doing more and more. You know, like there's I'm this, on board with you. Yeah, like it's, it's a night. It's it's a it's two massive tectonic tectonic. Is that the word? I think so. Plates shifts. <laughs> two big forces. Two big forces battling each other. I'm trying to get back and into gr- groove. Gritty, gritty. I, know, I feel like Christmas, I'm still. Yeah. I, I feel like the, totally. I'm still in holiday mode. But uh, it it's it is like this credit growth that must happen against the technology deflation that is happening. But even if that credit growth is happening, so so because of the de- deflationary forces. Does it create the inflation or does it no. just, does it just manage to keep things the same? I think it kills the system. No, I think no, technology kills the, system. Kills the system. Yeah, that could happen. I think technology just kills it. it, it How it, do you have a credit based money? Like, I don't, I hate even calling this money, money. It's credit. The dollars in your pocket aren't yeah. even capital. It's credit. It all, if you reverse engineer the dollar that you have in your pocket, the $20 bill that you have in your pocket right now, it all came from a loan. It all started from a loan. We have no money in this economy. We just have credit. Yeah, it's definitely not, you know, uh, Greg always talks about like the probability factor. Like it's definitely not a 0% probability probability that it it, it, like blows up the Well, I mean, and he's saying that all the fiat dollars must explode. And now I get it. It's just all credit. And you just need more and more credit at all times, which makes the existing credit worth less okay. and less. So then let's look, take another angle. So uh, Jim Rickards, when he mm-hmm. was talking about this, I guess, when was it? When 2010 was cur- Currency, Currency Wars. Wars. Is that when, when he wrote that book? So he was even before that. And then he's talked about the um, the IMF stepping in mm-hmm. and then creating the SDRs, yeah. 
right? So then it could explode and then everything gets valued against the SDRs, which basically is the same thing and starting over with a different value against something else versus anything else. And they can kind of keep the same system going. Except during that process, if you had any Canadian dollars and they go to a SDR system from the IMF, yeah. your, your Canadian dollars are going to be devalued yeah. to worthlessness. And if you don't own property or gold or Bitcoin or some fine art or some Rolexes or whatever you consider something of value, you are absolutely screwed. Mm -hmm. You're going to be absolutely screwed if that happens and you don't have some good hard assets. Yeah. Outside of la last year. So like, because if you look at over the last 10 years, you have been screwed. If you've been holding cash last year, if you had everything in cash a year, sure. 12 months ago, but that's again, timing the market. I'm not talking real estate. I'm talking timing any market. Right like now, no one can't really cash has been great. So yeah, one out of the last since 2007, really, well, basically since the tech crash, since yeah, so the late 2000. Yeah. So whatever. for the last 20 years, we've had how many years that it's been really kind of great to hold cash yeah. this last one year, maybe one. Yeah. Maybe one other one somewhere yeah, maybe, in there. That's so maybe it. two. So. so like 18 or 19 of the last 20 years. And you have to be able to have... time those, which no one, you know, if anyone, if everyone could time the market perfectly, then that's easy, you know, but no one, no one can. So, which is why I still like income properties because the income's coming in, you have the expenses, which has been a nightmare in the last year. If you've been variable, all of our stuff has been variable. Let's face it. It's not been fun but you still have income and expenses that you get to control and you control this hard asset comes down in price, big deal. As long as you can control it for lengths of time, you know, their game is more and more debt. Like, look at, look at this chart, Nick, this is total federal U S debt. When we started tracking this, I'll never forget our first economic update. Yeah. It was just over like $8 trillion. And it seemed high. It seemed it like seemed a high. steep growth at that time. Yeah. Yep. And then now if, if I, I circled 2020 before the last insane increase, but right at 2020 before COVID, it was just about 20, Four trillion, which means from 2008, 2009 to 2020, it went up three times, three times in about 10 years. It's actually 11 and a half years or so. So I'm generalizing here, but it tripled from eight to 24. So now in the next 10 years, if it triples and we go from 24, what's tripling that 72. So what now at the end of 2030, the forecasts are saying it's going to be higher, but nobody's forecasting that it's going to be 72 trillion, which, which seems ridiculous. Like which if someone's absolutely ridiculous, but 24, when we but were then look at, but look at the spike, we've gone from 24 in the last 24 months to 20, we're, well, we're 31, it looks we're 30.5 top left 30.5. Oh. I think the latest, that's not a live chart. The latest is like 31 trillion. Yeah. That was August of last year. So in the so last yeah. two years, we've gone from 24 trillion to 31. We're on our way. And what do, what do you want to own in a world with that much debt and that much devaluation of the money? Well, anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Spaghetti. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anything. Yeah. Tuna. Pasta. Yeah, anything. Salt. Like, it's ridiculous. And this is where I think everybody gets caught off guard these next 10 years. They're like, the last 10 years, I feel like everyone got caught off guard with real estate, especially in this area, because we had the enhancement of the population boom, like none of us ever kind of expected. So everybody got caught off guard. Interest rates were lower for longer, plus mix in some population growth, lack of housing. And everyone's like, oh my gosh, real estate prices are too high. Well, yeah, no joke, they're too high. Everyone kept rates too long for too, you know, too, too low for too long. And I think the next 10 years is, it's not gonna be real estate, it's going to be everything. Because the amount of debt gonna be pumped into Canada, the US, the world is gonna be way more than anyone predicts. And I think these high rates, are a fake out. It's a total bluff. Mm -hmm. And if they stay, and to be high, fair, it wasn't just real estate. It was like 
almost financial assets across the board. And Correct. Real estate yeah, turned yeah. into a financial asset, which it wasn't really- Turned into the savings. The real estate became the Canadian savings account yeah. in the last 10 years. You didn't go to the ATM and press the savings button. Well, you, you would, pressed real estate. Yeah, or you would buy some shares in the stock market and then you go buy property. Yeah. Like it was, like, it yeah. was the same decision yeah. making, you know. Yeah. And now I think this is what catches everyone off guard in the next 10 years. That it's not just like, oh, things are going up in value. It's the currency just goes to shit. And it almost mathematically has to go to shit because you need more and more credit to pay for the existing credit. So you need new debt and you need new debt faster. And if rates stay high, it's because inflation is high. And if inflation is high, it means there's more and more credit, more and more new debt entering the system. We just in this world where you want to own hard assets. Sorry, I think I skipped a slide I wanted to share. With yeah, you. it seems when you look at the debt chart like that, you just, it, it's- Well, it just seems obvious. Hard. Well, I'm just trying to, f yeah, I always look at a counter argument because I'm always trying to figure out both sides and then decide what, what I agree with, right? And I just, I look at that and it's hard. It's well, it just hard. doesn't happen. There's no, there's no counter well, argument. I think it, the fakes, uh, the fake outs like confuse everybody because, wait, wait, one second. In the last six months, this kind of sounds like nonsense because you're like, Tom, well, shit, like rates are high, real estate prices are coming low. I'm not gonna buy real estate now, like it's over. The party's over. So I think the average Canadian that doesn't look at this stuff is like, well, real estate had its day, it's over, now it's gotta come down, it's too expensive. Nobody can afford it. And that's what everybody at City Hall in Toronto argues about. Guys, no one can afford real estate, prices have to come down. Meanwhile, they don't understand the underlying monetary system, which is gonna force things higher. It doesn't matter what you want or you think is right. Yeah. Well, we did. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. They did come down. So anyone listen, they did come down and, they, and, and it's because they overshot like even, even, but they came, but they came down, but compared to 2010, are they down? No, no, I know. Not even 2010 compared to 2019 or yeah, no, 2020. No, I <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Like, I, ju I just mean it. They're still like two and a half times 2010. No, a hundred percent. But, but I, uh, I think it's, it's when, so when you're looking at these debt numbers and this growth and the prices of stuff and inflation, when something can overshoot so much, it's no different than when like a stock is overvalued just because of hype, right? It can it can revert to, to still a, a very healthy long-term trend, an increasing trend. And the real estate prices sure. here, at least, really overshot over the last Yeah, so they're years. coming back to so that. So they're coming to that long-term trend. And what's interesting when you look at that long-term trend, and we don't have the chart up, but if you look, if you go back like 30 years and you look at real estate prices, you'll see that and you've mapped them because we did this. I don't know if you remember, we did it in a newsletter a, a few months ago. If you map them to the debt growth, you'll see that as the debt growth increases in, as it steepens in the growth, yeah. the real estate prices over time in, in five year segments, they steepen as well. Right. So like that's what, so like, but then we still overshot, like we went, I mean, we went to the moon in, 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 in a 12 month period here. And now we've reverted back. We're very close to where that long-term trend, if you look at that kind of those long-term trends, we're very close to that just being where they're supposed to be now based on that trend. Sure. Yeah, right. So sense. it's, it's so, but that's, that, that was really interesting when we mapped those two things together. We're like, oh my God, it's, it, 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 it seems to align quite well. Not perfectly, but, but the, 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 tr the trend changes when there's more money in the system or more debt in the system, those assets, the prices increase. And, and your dollar's worth yeah. less and less.
And when there's less, like now, they take it out. The, the, those Remember when switching. we worked with some investors in 2008 and some people were saying, oh my gosh, it's the worst time to buy real estate because it's all going to collapse. The great financial crisis in the US, it's going to spread to over here. I wonder if we're one of those moments right now, again, where so many people are like, oh, the real estate game's over. You know, you're not going to buy properties. Where people who buy today, 10 years from today, we're going to look back because we have a core group of investors we've worked with from that time that really did well buying in that particular yeah. era because things shot up. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I think the decision is always less like it's, it's not even about real estate. It, it's more like, what do you think is going to happen in the future? Do you think there's going to be more debt in the system or more money in the system, whatever you want to call it? But do you think that that's going to grow? And if you think that's going to grow, then you have to plan accordingly. Yeah. And planning accordingly means you probably want to get your hands onto some assets. Hard assets. Whatever it is. It doesn't have to what, be real estate. Yeah, whatever yeah, it is. I'm with but you. it's not even a decision about buying real estate or buying hard assets. It's almost like a decision about looking at the under, underlying factor. Yep. And if you look through history, that when that underlying factor grows, then the, the prices, the nominal prices of those grow, right? The, the real That's what makes decision-making so simple to me when you start looking at some of this stuff. So here's another way to look at it. The 2021 U.S. tax revenues were $4.8 trillion, a banner year because of all the money that flushed into the economy. So the, the, the tax revenues in the U.S. just had like this great year. It's why debt to GDP came down a little bit in the whole bit. Then out of that 4.8 trillion that they earn in the US, the US government, 3.7 trillion is spent on entitlement spending. So all the things they have to spend is $3.7 trillion that they've committed to is eaten up from the 4.8. $800 billion is spent on defense spending, which is like incredible, $800 billion, um, which leaves $300 billion left over. Well, the, 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 the weird part here is that in 2021, there was $400 billion in interest expenses on the debt which means they couldn't even pay for their own debt. So they had to print the $100 billion in extra interest costs to make their debt payments in a banner year for tax revenues. Now, if you, we're at 30 or $31 trillion in US debt and interest rates are now higher, well, if you just round it down to 30 trillion and you multiply it by 3.2%, I think the 10 year rates at 3.5 and debt rolls over, you know, bit by bit over the next few years, it doesn't all happen in the snap of a fingers. But if I was to just look at this and say, there's $30 trillion in US debt, the rates are 3.2%. That's now $1 trillion in interest expenses. So instead of being short, you know, they were short a hundred billion, they're now going to be short 700 billion. And this is why, so if they're going to be short $700 billion, where does this, where does this debt spiral end? And that's assuming that it's $700 billion on tax revenues that had a banner year. If you're in a recession, you're not short $700 billion. Your tax revenues are going to come down. They could easily be short in the next year, two, three years, a trillion dollars just on their interest expenses. And Nick, going back to your point, if you understand this, to me, then it becomes obvious. You just buy good things. Get out of the way of this mess. Don't hold dollars for two, hold dollars to buy your groceries. But other than you're like paying your rent, paying your mortgage and buying your groceries, get out of dollars because this is just a disaster waiting to happen. Yeah, I'm. I'm not pausing for effect. I'm. I'm just. I'm just looking. No, it, at it, it just seems, seems so. Yeah, it, yeah you're right. It, it, like it seems so obvious to me that like. But but the fake out is the high interest rates right now, because the media narrative that everyone's going to hear over the next six months is that 
Interest rates are going to stay higher for longer. TIFF's going to come out. The Bank of Canada will probably come out later this month. Hey, Canadians, just like he did two years ago when he said, we won't raise rates until 2024. Remember that? We're not, we're not going to raise them for a long time, at least 2024. And then they go and raise rates and just smash everybody. So now I think we're going to get the opposite, where the Bank of Canada is going to come out and say, hey, hey, Canadians, you better get ready. We're going to hold rates higher for longer. And there's some of us that are going to be looking at this guy like, like, have you taken math? Do you take math classes at the Bank of Canada? Do you understand how this works? Where are you going to get the money to make your own debt payments for your own Canadian government? How are you going to keep these rates higher for longer? Or are you just going to keep the rates higher for longer and start mailing out checks? Are you going to still start, you know, paying for everybody's dentist or dental work, paying for more childcare, paying for university? Are you just going to start mailing out checks? Because that's what you're going to have to do to keep rates high. Where's the money going to come from to make the debt payments? Like it doesn't add up. I, uh, I, what I'm looking for here is that um, yesterday we were talking about, uh, you were talking about headlines and yesterday we were talking about the um, consumer insolvencies. So they're, they're up or credit card debt. I forget which one it was, late payments on credit cards or something like one of those things was up. It was consumer insolvencies. Yeah. And they were up, they, they jumped quite mm-hmm. a bit, but they jumped from like historic lows and they're well below like the pre-pandemic. Long-term trend. Yeah. And uh, this morning I was looking for no, the headline. No, there's a headline. Yeah. This morning I saw the headline about, so I, I didn't read the article, so I don't know how how well they explained that they were actually at historic lows, if they mentioned that at all. But there was a headline that they jumped by 20 something percent. And I'm like, oh man, there, here we go again. Yeah. I can't wait to the flip. Which is an accurate headline. Yeah. But if you don't tell everyone, they're still below world, the trend line. Yeah, it's all clickbait. Yeah. Know, like, well, I can't wait to the, the, the real estate headlines like uh, from February, because the year over year February numbers when things peaked for those two weeks, which were absolutely insane. It's just going to be, they're going to be like, oh, prices are down this much, you know, and it's always just... Yeah, that's going to be the worst. All, February headlines will be the worst. Because but it's all of, short-term stuff. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned, brought back 2008, because you're right, the people that were able to look past that then that we know, some of them really were able yeah. to scoop, but they felt like, looking back, they're like, man... I wish I could have scooped up more, you know, because of what, because of what, when the response to what started happening was, was huge and and drove the the next, you know, 10 or 12 years of, of growth from there. Here, here's something else that I think is going to be a trend. I know Nick, you're, you're, you're so excited. I'm sharing this again, but uh, (laughs) this is to me going to be a trend over the next 10 years that everyone needs to be aware of when the UK guilt market, which is their bond market froze up because of lack of liquidity in the fall, which I think we're going to see these episodes over the next year, especially if rates do stay higher for three, six more months and you see weird things in the economy in the UK, if you're not aware, the UK guilt market just completely froze. There was no buyers. There was just no buyers. And their guilt market is their bond market. Their bond market. So one of the financial companies, BlackRock, that was like managing these pension funds over there, they ran into a situation where there was no buyers for a bunch of these bonds that they had on their books. And it was causing havoc because there's always a bid. There's always a buyer for, you know, sovereign bond, especially from the UK, but there's no buyers. So BlackRock reached out to the UK central bank and said, I think it was like on Monday of that week, they said, holy like shit, we got a problem. The central bank kind of, you know, didn't respond. And on Tuesday, BlackRock said, listen, uh, if you don't by Wednesday morning, do something here where you start interjecting with some liquidity into the system here, we are going to have to sell the pension funds holdings that we have of any of these bonds that we have and any other things that we're owning. And we're going to just sell all these pensioners out to cash. 
So all these pension funds that thought they did all the right things by buying REITs, which controlled some, you know, nice multi-unit buildings and some nice commercial real estate and bought UK sovereign bonds. BlackRock was like, listen, there's a financial problem here. We are just dumping everything to cash. And so now as a pensioner, you thought maybe you're holding this awesome pension full of these wonderful hard assets. And when shit hits the fan, these guys are just going to sell you out to cash. That's not the worst part. Right at that moment, Nick, I don't know if you remember, but the UK pound, the British pound, was collapsing against the US dollar. So if you were a pensioner that was living in Costa Rica or one of the, you know, one of the Caribbean islands and you were using US dollars for your day-to-day living, but your pension back home that you had banked on because you worked as a bus driver for, you know, 30 years and you had this wonderful pension is just being sold to cash. And then the UK pound, the British pound relative to the US dollar collapses. You've done nothing wrong. You've worked hard for 30 years. You have this pension, but now your pension is going to be worth a fraction of it was what it was on Friday on the current Wednesday. And this is what I think everybody needs to prepare for that the banking system, when shit hits the fan, is going to protect themselves and lock you out of any assets you do not directly control. And I know when I say that, it sounds like, oh shit, like that sounds like some kind of conspiracy thing or something. No, if you don't directly control the asset, the banks are going to save themselves first. You know what's happening in Lebanon right now? I didn't show you this one clip on on Twitter, but like in Lebanon, you know how they've, they've been having this like hyperinflation yep. for like, you know, I don't know, it feels like two or three years now. And the banks have stopped giving out money. Have you seen the metal doors they're putting in front of the banks? This guy shot a gun at the bank to try to get his own money. Think about putting your money. Well, they torched the, they went into the the central bank. Torched the central bank. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that was, that was, I guess, months ago, but. But can you imagine having your savings in the bank? Then you go to the bank for your your money and and there's metal doors and metal guards. You can't get in and they're telling you, you know, hey. Well, look look recently, um, if we were going back to this, to the BlackRock example, the, the, the investment side of things is. Uh, when I guess it was in November, November, December, that there was a few large REITs, and I, I forget all the names now, but um, that they suspended redemptions. They yeah. suspended redemptions. Yeah, that's right. So, like, you have this asset. I think that is BlackRock that has a big. That's US what I thought too. I just didn't want to say. I didn't want to say. I think it is. And, and they had to borrow. Did you see they had to borrow capital? They had to borrow yeah. capital. Eleven point three five percent interest. One of the biggest financial companies in the world. And what's that do to the returns? But but anyways, but, but you think you have this investment that you can sell because that's when you bought it. You bought a REIT purposely because you're like, well, because I know some people when we talk to investors are like, I'm going to buy a REIT because then it's easy to get in yeah. and out and stuff like that. Okay. I'm in the real estate but, market. Yeah. I'm in the market. But you don't control it. And when you don't control it, that's exactly what happens. They're like, sorry, guys, no, you can't get your money. So you're like, what if you needed, during these times, you needed that capital because your costs yeah. are going up, you need that capital. You, you can't, can't get, get access it. to it. And then what positions that put you in? What happens if you're buying gold through an ETF or Bitcoin through an ETF and you're like, yeah, I'm buying this stuff, but the day you need it, they just shut it down. It. Yeah. And they sell you out to cash. And what happens if that cash is being devalued? But that, you're talking if they sell you out to cash. Tom, these guys aren't even getting the cash. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, like, yeah. like <laughs> selling out to, in, in, in between the two scenarios, sell, sell you out to cash is, is a good is a good option. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But this one is like you can't even get the cash. Yeah. So it's not far fetched. This is happening in in like Canada and the U.S., like North America right now. And I think most know. Canadians don't see a problem yet because they've never lived through Canada. The financial system in Canada's worked pretty good for like 50 years. 
but so, it was never as intertwined globally. Correct. It, it's more intertwined even than in 2008. Absolutely. Right? And I think if you're born here and maybe your parents were born here, your parents, I still am on vacation. Holy smoke. Um, I just think you don't see it. You listen to something like this. You're like, come on, the Canadian banks, everything's good. Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take some out and buy some physical gold. Yeah. I'm not going to take some out and buy some of your Bitcoin stuff and hold it and custody it directly. That sounds crazy. I don't need to do that. My interest rates are up. I'm getting, I'm getting 4% on my freaking bonds right now that I'm buying. I'm killing it. I, I just think it's a house of cards in this next 10 years. The threat to that. Well, it's, it, I mean, it happened in the UK. It like happened in the UK. Yeah. It's not even a threat. Like this stuff is happening. And I just think that some percentage of everybody's net worth should be out of the financial system. It's why we like real estate in our own name. It's why we, we you know, we both still hold some gold. Which people will make the argument that, you know, they could, they could confiscate the real estate and stuff like that, government and Canada. Mm -hmm. Like if you, if you really go to extreme arguments about that, they're like, well, real estate doesn't help you any anyways, because they can confiscate it, whether it's in your name or not. Sure. I just would like right? them to cut, let me have a chance. At least if it's in my name, I have a chance to yeah, versus having to go and beg the bank to get a hundred bucks. Yeah. yeah. Hey, can you sell my REIT and give me a hundred dollars in cash? At least with a property that I own directly, I have a stand, you know, I have a chance. Yeah. So, and, and it's why I still like Bitcoin. It's why I like these things. I can hold them directly. The, the Bitcoin one gets even more exciting to me. If you look at the user accounts on lightning and you see what's happening with technology and you see what's happening on Nostra with people sending around money, like this thing becomes really exciting to me over the next 10 years. It seems like to me, and I know this is an out there thing for most people, but to me, it seems like a, a no brainer. Like this is like something I want to own for the rest of my life. Absolutely. So anyway, there we go, Nick. That's everything. I, 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 start, I, the, I, start the year on a good note. I think the thing is, I think when we share this stuff, it's kind of like it can come across like negative, but I think all we're trying to do is understand what's happening so we can front run it. A hundred percent. That's how it is for me. That's why when you're talking, I'm just sitting here thinking, I'm like, okay, what's the opposite of what Tom's saying right now? Not because I disagree with you, but I just, it's the way I make my decisions. Is I need to understand the, I try to understand the other argument. And I try to understand the flip side and then decide for me what is the more realistic outcome, in my opinion, and then make, you know, yeah. uh, so like I'll look at the debt levels. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe they could, they're walking the fine line. They're managing to do it. And then I look at the chart and I'm like, man, I don't really have an ar a counter argument to that. Like, what, how is that debt that, you know, that went from eight to 24 to 32? How is that or 31? How is that chart going to go flat down, down. <laughs> like I don't I they're can't, gonna start I, paying off their debt I can't figure that one out so but but I, I like to try to figure and it what out. does the world look like at the end of 10 years when it's not 31 and it's like 70 trillion like what does that world look like what is the price of the house across the street from you when there's that much new credit in the system <laughs> yeah yeah. So like where did we, it go? It's interesting. It'll be interesting to see because for so long when that was entering the system. So if you, we talked about 2008 from 2008 up until about 2020, right? It really went into to assets, financial assets and almost like not exclusively, but but as a percentage base, it was the vast majority of it went into those assets, whether it's the stock market, the real estate market, whatever. Right now. And then COVID hit. And then it just, then with the way they just threw money everywhere, it went into everything. And that's why we're seeing, and the supply chains, but that's why we're seeing the inflation we're seeing now. So with, let's pretend there is a response and let's pretend, okay, you know, there's a, there's a few more, the, 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 the trillions are coming. We're going to go from 31, 32 to 40 trillion in the next few years. 
where does that $8 trillion go? Is it going to, to everything? Is it going into the financial side of things? Is it go, is there something new that we haven't thought about? Do you know what I mean? That it, That's going to be interesting because, because it's, it's the last couple of years, things changed a little bit with what that money leaked into everything yeah. versus staying, staying generally centralized for the most part. If we had to make a prediction over this next year, I guess my prediction would be for inflation that I, I think based on what we're seeing with just the smashing of the economy that in, you know, uh, I think it was last spring, we gave an economic update and we said the theme is volatility. Mm-hmm. Like the last 10 years with real estate prices, it's kind of been just like steady grinding up, grinding up, maybe a little bit of a spike up and then grinding, grinding, grinding. Um, I think we're in the mode of volatility, which, which I like the way Lynn Alden breaks it down. And she compares it a lot. I think she take she she mentioned she got that idea from Ray Dalio. But I like the 1940s comparison where it's just massive inflation, and now we're just going to have it crash down. And by the end of this year, it's going to be so low, people are going to be like, "What the hell happened?" And then the policy response to that is just this massive influx of new M2, new money, which causes and it spikes yeah. way up again. So like over the next year to two years, we see this tumbling down of inflation and a direct policy response. And the central bankers will say, well, you know what? We wanted to keep rates high, but we didn't expect this. And for your own safety of the financial system, we got to lower rates now again. And we get this influx of cash. Maybe even like a by the end of this dec- decade, I wonder even if we have like a UBI in Canada where there's just like a basic income where the government just shovels money out at people. So the, I think this next year, year to 18 months is going to be inflation comes tumbling down and then it reverses and shoots right back up. And everybody's just caught off guard because those people who thought, oh, inflation's dead and you know property prices are down are like, okay. And then they don't see the reaction to that and everything shoots mm-hmm. back up further. And when it shoots back up, it shoots up back up from a higher base. It's not like property prices went back to the 2010 prices. They went back to like what you said, like the 2019 prices. So when they shoot up in the next round, they're going to go to levels where it's, people are going to just be blown away. They didn't even, just to be clear, it's probably 2021 prices. They're not even back down yeah. pre-COVID for the, mo- for the most segments of the market. But And sharing that, sorry, I just want to share that. We're not making that as a guaranteed prediction, by the way. We're just having fun. Like, I don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe we're in a six-year grind where real estate prices just grind flat for six years. That could happen as well. You know, maybe the inflation comes into the system because the inflation's come into the system a lot through real estate because it's come through lending in the last 10 years. Interest rates have been low. Maybe rates stay high and the inflation doesn't come in the system through lending. It comes through checks mailed out to people. So Nick, to your point, the inflation shows up not really first in real estate and and it it shows up in food and steaks and beef and that kind of stuff. Which we're seeing. Yeah. Uh, So so there uh, could be different pops of inflation. Let's see. It's an interesting time because these are the times that you can't, you, you, yeah, you, you gotta, you gotta pick your belief and you gotta stick with yeah. it because otherwise you, you, you miss. Cause I, I think that if you base it off, off, um, the, the forties like that, and it does mimic that, which it seems like it might, you know, there's some similarities based on what Lynn Alden shared and stuff like that. Um, the, uh, you, you can't time these things. No, you, 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 miss you have to kind of set yourself it, yeah. up and hold on for yeah. dear life, which is tough, which is tough for So for like anyone going through this right now, like it, it's, it's, you know, tough. yeah, it's tough. If you've, if your holding costs have gone, you know, and which everyone's has, has, has it, yeah, have increased. And, and yeah, whether it's not just on your properties, even if you have fixed rate mortgages, if you have any debt anywhere else or costs going up there, everyone's kind of being impacted by it. it. It's easy to kind of just, 
get sucked into the short term and and be like you know what I'm you know and forget about the long term and it's it's harder it's more beneficial but it's harder and sometimes you need to sell assets yeah. to survive like sometimes yeah, yeah. you need to 100%. sell a property 100%. because you need some cash yeah, yeah there's one this is uh, I was trying to think of what I, what I had forgot there's you know you know Kennedy I think it was Kennedy they always talked about there's there's money. It's like, there's always money flowing. You know, people think there's not enough money. There's always money flowing around elsewhere. You just need to kind of put your hand out and get into where the money is flowing. Mm-hmm. And if you, you know, if you step it, step into where the money's sure, put whatever. your hand out. Sounded like yeah, someone's okay. going to give you money. Whatever. <laughs> I, give me I, some money. What, I, and I'm not quoting him, but it was something like yeah. that. But he's like, you know, there's always this opportunity. There's always, there's always a there. river of money flowing somewhere. Yeah. And you just got to kind of find it. And where's that, where's that happening now? And I think it's just, it's, it's going to be interesting to see that that we're in the middle of that river probably going to continue to grow and it might not grow because of inflation like it might not grow in kind of you know real terms but there's this this opportunity and if that debt if you believe that that money is going to flow and that the debt's coming down it's just finding out where you think that's going to be and placing yourself there mm-hmm. and it's going you're going to be dragged along with that growth no different than in, in the past, in the market, in the real estate market, or many stock markets, or look at, te- I'll just use technology stocks, for example. Tesla, where do you th- whether you think it's a good stock or not, or properly valued or not, for a while, it was just being dragged along with the green initiative, with the technology play. It was just getting dragged up to the, uh, a price. Maybe it was valued there, maybe it wasn't, but there was a lot of another narrative around it. You just had to be in the right place. And it's like, where are, you know, that's and the same trend. with same with the real estate market. You just had to be there because that's where the, the money coming into the system was being pushed into there. So I guess the way I could summarize it, listening to you describe it like that is like, to me, the trends are more and more debt. Don't know where it's going to show up first, but more and more and more debt and technology fighting against the inflationary forces of that debt which makes a very volatile situation over the next 10 years. And a stronger argument that the debt's going to come because they can't have deflation. And if technology is causing the deflation, the chances of the debt coming are are, even even, more greater than just the, just the, well, rates are too high. Maybe we got to protect the real estate. Technology is forcing deflation. Yeah, because it's not, I I guess I I don't like it when people talk about interest rates and it just simplifies. It's about the real estate market. It's about way more than that. Yeah. Right. And, and, And the technology is one of the reasons that you know, that's another reason why they might not be able to keep them where they are. When you say it like that, if technology is forcing deflation, but they already need more debt to just pay for the interest payments on the outstanding debt. Yeah, it gets it gets really sketchy. Like how much new debt are they going to have to put into the system to create any inflation when the, the deflationary forces are as strong as they have ever been? This is going to be a bit. And that's why the debt's grown so much, because people will listen to you and be like, well, I don't get it. If the deflationary forces are so strong, why is there this inflation? Well, the inflation is because of how much money or debt they're putting into the system. So even with the technology, it's, they're, they're battling it. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it, going to go exponential. It's hard to make an argument. For less debt. It's, it's, I, just, I, I keep looking for it. I just can't see Neither it. Neither can I. You know? All right. Nicholas Alexander Kradza, welcome to 2023. Hey everyone, hopefully you enjoyed that chat with Nick and I. If you're listening to this and this is your year to get started with Canadian real estate investing right here in the Golden Horseshoe, or if you're looking to expand your already existing real estate portfolio, you can come out to our Canadian real estate introductory training class by visiting canadianrealestatetraining.com. There you can grab a seat, learn details that we cover in the class. And I'm not even sure the next date, but it's going to be on the website there for you. So if you visit canadianrealestatetraining.com, 
www.ethanolfarm.com. You'll get the next date. You'll get a more detail on what we're going to cover and you can lock up a seat for yourself at that next class. We are doing them virtually via Zoom right now. We stick around afterwards to answer any questions that you might have. That's usually a really useful period of the class as well. So you can get all of that at CanadianRealEstateTraining.com. That's it for this episode. Welcome to 2023. Let's make it great and let's live it on our terms.